The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Sequel Quest, episode 104, a sequel chat movie review of Sony Pictures and Marvel Studios' Spider-Man Far From Home. Warning, Sequel Chat is a movie lover's podcast featuring discussions of the latest cinematic sequels in theaters now. These weekend of release reviews are spoiler-filled and highly flammable, so please use caution when listening. You have been warned. Listeners, we have a job to do, and you're coming with us. There's gotta be somebody else we can listen to. What about Hero Movie Podcast? Off-world. Marvel Movie News? Unavailable. Kevin Smith, he's always talking. Don't you invoke his name? Granted, he's definitely higher than a kite and probably a blubbering mess crying over this mind-blowing movie, but no. But we're just your friendly neighborhood sequel chat listeners. Snitch, please. This ain't Harry Potter. You've been to Rotten Movie Space with us for Fan Forstick and even Dark Phoenix. Come on! This is Marvel Studios' latest incarnation of Spider-Man in collaboration with Sony Pictures' Spider-Man Far From Home. Alright, this is Sequel Chat, and we've seen Far From Home. No, wait, Adam, you didn't? Oh, it's rough, it's rough, guys. You know, when you release on a holiday weekend, you can't always make it to the theater despite my best efforts and machinations. So even got invited this afternoon to go with a friend and life of a stay-at-home dad just couldn't get away. It's been a week. This is world shattering here. Well, you were kind of on vacation too, so you couldn't steal away. Exactly. They, the, the local theater uh, at my dad's house where I was visiting was sh- showing Shazam. That was just oh, coming to them. So. Boy. Wow. <laughs> I've been there, done that. All right. So uh, right off the top here, what what were your guys' thoughts on Homecoming? I mean, I will say that I got a kick out of it uh, just from the perspective of the intimacy of the story. I really enjoyed just that kind of personal conflict and and really the way that Michael Keaton played the vulture uh, surprised me in many ways. So I was very happy just overall with the performances and that there was no origin story, all those things. And my only criticism of that film and really of this incarnation of Spider-Man is it's tied just a little too heavily to Tony Stark for me. And I really wish that Spider-Man was his own hero and that we got to kind of see him do his own things for his own reasons. I mean, I know he does, but that it's always falling back to a mentor figure than the Tony Stark thing and being Iron Man Jr. So I don't 100% love that, but I love Tom Holland. So and, it kind of you're the it over. you're the big Spider-Man guru. Right. Okay. Uh oh boy. All right. Uh, Colton, where were you on Homecoming? Uh, I still stand with what I said in the Homecoming review. I feel like that was the second best Spidey film. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2 is still number one for me. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I understand that in that review you said that it was Homecoming was your new number one. and just um, I totally get what Adam's saying about him being a little too attached to Tony Stark. But honestly, 
one of the things that the reboot needed was to avoid treading the same familiar waters as the last two incarnations. They had to really mix things up. And I think what they were going for was here's a universe that's already populated with a bunch of heroes and Spider-Man's kind of a small fry in the midst of it all. I felt like that was kind of what they were going for. And that's why he would be deferring to Tony so much. Maybe Adam's right that, it, that maybe they overdid it, but I understood what they were going for, that he's part of being in a shared universe is it's possible no matter how awesome you are, you can still kind of feel a little bit lost in the crowd. Uh, I would agree with that. Uh, Homecoming has been dethroned <laughs> as my top Spider-Man movie. Um, the Raimi ones are great. In so into the right. Spider-Verse? No, just well, yes, that is right up there as well. Uh, we didn't fully cover that one. We've kind of mentioned it here and there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was Christmas time. Yeah. And it's on Netflix. So if you haven't seen it, go watch it. And if you have yep, seen my it, kids go were just watch watching it, again. it today. So yeah, <laughs> over and over. It's it's a, a crowd pleaser for sure. Uh, there was a Tom Holland scene that was cut from that movie. Oh, yeah. Along uh, with Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. <laughs> no, it was it was something uh, Tom Holland did mention that he was supposed to be in it. Um, he he did the audio for it and he was supposed to say like, Hey kid, or something like that. It was a passing mention glance type deal. Uh, but the whole Sony separate from Marvel MCU, yeah. uh, interesting differences there. Um, as, as we are talking here, homecoming and far from home are both Sony pictures, but they are produced by Marvel Disney, uh, basically produced in the, in the way that they come up with the story, they cast it. And then Sony just, markets it and foots the bill sony pays for everything and takes 100 percent of the box office profits but marvel gets use spider-man in their films then yes it's a shared universe that's how they worked out the the kinks between them it's really interesting that a sony movie is what ends uh the infinity saga and kicks off our phase four like it's it's an interesting mix there because there were some world changing events that happened in endgame and i dare say that there are on par changes in far from home that really just blow your minds a bit yeah and i'm very curious to hear about this this is going to be like going back in time to elementary school for me because (laughs) i would always if i wasn't able to get to the theater i would just go to all my friends be like tell me everything tell me what happened i gotta know and so at this point if you know no foreseeable uh uh, you know, opening in the future for me to go. So I might be waiting till Redbox. So I'm really going to be pumping you guys for information tonight. Okay, there there is a lot of information. So let's hit you with the, the brief synopsis that is official out there. Uh, following the events of Avengers Endgame, Spider-Man must step up to take on new threats in a world that has changed forever. That is there a very <laughs> nondescript and vague synopsis, I guess. But we're dealing with Mysterio here. We're dealing with Nick Fury and Maria Hill are back, and they're kind of taking a lead type deal. Spidey is back. All of his classmates are back that were all snapped away. And we actually get a brief intro at the beginning of the snap through the eyes of these high school kids. And the world around it kind of played off as a joke. So in the beginning, there is a little video montage we know how the the high school class had the little TV shows that they put on. Which was me in high school, by the way. 
<laughs> I wished my school would have had something like that. Do they break? So they break back those two kids then? They're doing their thing? Well, the kids that were quite. hosting the announcement? Yeah. Yes. The same kids. Same kids? Okay. I, I knew kids. Betty was. I didn't catch the other kid as being. The other kid? just uh, as awkward. Oh, even more. I, I forgot. <laughs> yeah. I forgot the actor's name. Uh, he was in Bumblebee. Yeah, yeah, right. It's the same yeah. actor again. Uh, the past couple of years have not been kind to him physically. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> so I, I don't blame Jeremy for not recognizing him right away because just. Well, yeah. now that you mentioned Bumblebee, yes, I recognize him from that. I didn't recognize him from Homecoming. Yeah, um, it, well, physically, just I don't know. I don't think he's taking good care of himself. I'll just leave it at that. The young Hollywood kid. That's all you can say. I had a little bit of trouble recognizing him, but it, it's him. So I've seen this twice. Colton, you've seen it how many? Two, three times? Uh, this is the first time since Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2 that I have watched a film twice in a 24-hour period and didn't get restless at all. Nice. 15 years to the weekend. <laughs> and just even Force Awakens. When I went and saw that twice in 24 hours, I mean, it's not a bad movie, but it graded on. And that's one of the things I learned about myself 15 years ago is I cannot, as a general rule, I cannot watch a movie over and over again with the viewings too close to each other. It just... It just grinds on me in an unpleasant way. And that did not happen with Far From Home at all. So, yes, I've seen it twice. Long story short. Okay. We went to the midnight showing together. Yes. On Tuesday morning. First time I attended a premiere with you, right? Yeah. So that's a kind of a big deal. In and the and it's the first midnight premiere that I've gone to since 2012. Probably the Avengers or right around there. That's about when they stopped. Uh, for me, it, the Hobbit Desolation of Smaug was my last midnight show. Late 2013 was when they started to phase it out and start to show like at six or seven o'clock the day before as a way to helping out the economy, making sure people weren't too sleepy for work. Um, I remember around Thor the Dark Worlds when they first started to phase that out. Midnight premieres. Yeah, yeah. My last one that was a full-on premiere, they didn't show it at 7 p.m., they showed it at midnight, the premiere, uh, was Hobbit 2. And ever since then, I've been able to catch the first showings being at 6 or 7 o'clock. Um, because of the unusual release of this movie, it was released on a Tuesday instead of the usual summertime of either Friday or Wednesday. It just made things wonky. My local theater uh, didn't have it playing at midnight. If you wanted to catch the premiere of it, you had to catch it first thing in the morning at 10 a.m. And I wasn't going to wait that long. I wanted to see it immediately. Yeah. Adam, when was your last one? Yeah, fittingly enough, it was actually back in 2007 for Spider-Man 3 <laughs> because I was so hyped for that film. In fact, I, I just recovered from my dad's storage area there at his house a moving box filled with spider-man oh, wow. three action figures and I, I did a live opening you know unboxing on twitter and put it up on my facebook but it was just like i couldn't believe how many toys were in there there were so many variants and just every kind <laughs> of venom every kind of black costume spider-man this one has ooze this one glows in the dark this one of that so so you better believe i was there at midnight and then walked out dazed and confused just like what did i just see oh so. in, in a bad way though right yeah unfortunately. okay yeah far from home had me doing that except in a really good way ah so let's just break the glass here shatter your mind a bit uh the post credit scene is mj and peter swinging through town which is the first time we've seen him swinging through new york um and that was withheld on purpose until this moment hmm. and mj tells him we're never doing that again. Uh, she did not <laughs> like swinging through the city. He was a little reckless, definitely. And all of a sudden, a breaking news alert hits, and a news report on the side of the building begins reporting on Mysterio's death. In other words, additional breaking news is quote-unquote death. It's Mysterio. We'll, we'll dig into that. And... 
Beck has recorded a private message uh, re-edited to show that it was Spider-Man who caused the desolation with the drones in London and was playing him up as an evil Spider-Man, saying nobody else could be the next Tony Stark. And as a PS to that, Beck also reveals Peter Parker's name. Wow. Small thing. He does a small fake out. He, yeah. He thinks Peter's safe. And then all of a sudden, the message comes back on. And he yeah. Lets he goes, his name is... And then the video cuts out. And then it comes back. And it's his real name is Peter Parker. And then there's a picture to go with it. His high school photo. And yeah. then they reveal that this news comes to us via the dailybugle.net. J. Jonah Jameson played by J.K. Simmons in an over-the-top Alex Jones-esque impression. Wow, well, so a, a new interpretation, huh? A yes. new interpretation. He's bald, but he still has those gray streaks on the side, kind of like Uncle Phil. Huh. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. So, because that, that was my my one theory about this film. I only watched, the, like, two of the trailers that were released. I really did want to be surprised if I was going to be able to catch it. And my one theory, though, was it just seemed like, you know, Mysterio is coming onto the scene. But, you know, traditionally in the comics, he is a villain. And here we've been presented, oh, he's a hero from an alternate dimension. Which so, I never bought, just so we're clear. I exactly. never <laughs> So that's why I was waiting for the shoe to drop. So I was curious. So, but you're saying this is the Ed credit scene. Does it play out at all during the film that Mysterio, it, like, switches or oh, yes. shows himself? Yes. To be I, yes. I, I, I Decided to time it at exactly the halfway point, give or take about two minutes. Yeah, it's movie a right there. Flips. And even though I never believed for a second Mysterio was going to be a good altruistic person, the switch was still delivered with really great style. I really liked it. Nice. Now, this reveal was kept so under wraps that they recorded that shot of J.K. Simmons at Marvel HQ in a conference room on a green screen. Because they couldn't allow it to leak out. Um, they did say, Kevin Feige and John Watts have both come out and said that they only viewed J.K. Simmons for the role. And had he not accepted it, they would not have moved on with a J. Jonah Jameson. Wow. Okay. Well, that's a nice. Lot, I mean, a lot of people have felt that way for many years. They're just like, no one else can do it. No one else can do it like J.K. Simmons can. So it's interesting that uh, Feige, being a super fan himself, felt the same way. I should also point out both showings that I saw this film. I mean, audiences, they enjoyed it. They were into it. They laughed a lot. The only time they actually full out sprung into a full on applause and cheering was when J. Jonah Jameson being played by J.K. Simmons showed up at the end of the film. Two different screenings. Okay. One at midnight, one at around 7 p.m., 7.30. And both of them just erupted in applause when they saw him. That is how awesome this scene is. How well done it is, what a pleasant surprise it is. And we can't do it justice. You have to see it for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Uh. I'm sure it'll be revealed here in probably the next couple of weeks in a clip online. And, and so it's at this point where Peter has a shocked face of what the basically repeating Maze line from the end of yeah. Homecoming. <laughs> Does it cut to a Ramon song? Um, I think it did. <laughs> The first part of the credits, it's a Vacation by the Go-Go's. Okay. Oh, that's I awesome. I didn't catch what any of the other songs were, though. So we have that. And the second post credit scene is Fury and Hill driving a car away from wherever in New York. And it's revealed that both of them are Skrulls. And wow. it's Talos <laughs> and his wife, Soren, who are 
masquerading as Fury and Hill and have been throughout the whole movie. Wow. Okay. Fury's been on vacation. This, the, the, they but, didn't do any yeah. they, they agreed to take his place while he was on vacation. Okay. They were specifically sent down in order to hand off something from Stark to Peter and then all this other nonsense kicked up. And so they've been trying to be Fury and they've <laughs> more or less failed a lot of places and, and, and it kind of explains how fury quote unquote fury got hoodwinked because it exactly. wasn't because exactly. i i would have had a hard time buying fury being hoodwinked by mysterio considering how paranoid he is after the whole hydra thing oh exactly field, like seriously I, i'd be like he, he didn't do a background check on this quentin bet guy because come on he has to facial exist. recognition i mean yeah, yeah all sorts of stuff and none of that happened but Having them be scrolls at the end, that kind of fixes that. So John Watts and Feige both were were doing interviews post-movie release, and they did say that this is the only movie where scrolls have represented Fury and Hill. Mm, okay. I, I've got a bunch of stuff in my notes that are like, well, but... <laughs> In the Marvel Universe, there are this continuity and that continuity, and then this happens. Somebody calls him Nick, and he gets all suspicious because nobody calls him anything but Fury. Right. And I, I got I got into a YouTube rabbit hole today, uh, counting up different places and times where somebody called him anything other than Fury. Uh, Winter Soldier, Cap calls him Nick like half the movie. Uh. No reaction. All throughout uh, the Infinity War end scene with Hill, she calls him Nick multiple times, three or four times. No reaction. Well, to be fair, that was the 90s. Maybe he got over it by the turn of no, the no, century. No, no, no. Right. I, I mean, <laughs> probably very select group. But at the same time, I'm th man, this is just speculation on my part, but I really think based on the rest of this end credit scene that Fury has used scrolls as his eyes and ears, basically like LMDs all around the globe. It really does open that up, doesn't it? Yeah. Right. I mean, now since Captain Marvel, you kind of think, oh, like I never would have thought that going forward from that that he would keep up his relationship with the scrolls because it's kind of like, oh, well, she went off with them to give them a home world. But yeah, but then there was, you know, 20 odd years after that, that of course they could have kept up a relationship and they're willing to help out and, and whatever need, you know, now they have a fury that they know on Earth. And he's like, hey, help us out. We'll help you out probably. So that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Now, here's the question well, I have. So though. here, let's, oh, yeah. let's wrap this up. The yeah. rest of that scene is they end up FaceTiming Fury, who is off deep in space on some interesting spaceship that is staffed by scrolls. Hmm. And he's, he's basically been on vacation. He's he's in this little hologram. I won't call it a chamber, but like he's up against a wall that is imitating a beach. Yeah. And it <laughs> looks an awful lot like a simulation you see on the TV show Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Some wonder if that's a nod and a wink or if it's just a coincidence. Tahiti, maybe. Tahiti, yeah. Or, yeah. So there, there's a lot that could be implied by this, but they have come out and said, I, I did find the interview where they said it was only in this movie. So all you truthers out there that are saying Fury in Age of Ultron when he's cutting his toast was a scroll. Oh, I didn't wrong. know about that. You're wrong. <laughs> because in Age of Ultron, it looks like he cuts his toast, bread, whatever it is, into triangles yeah. in one scene. <laughs> But when he picks up the bread, it is rectangular, not triangular. So there are certain levels of nerdy. I am just terrified. <laughs> <laughs> that 
is like deeper than Dungeons and Dragons right there. I'm sorry. Yes, I did go frame by frame on that one. May, may I politely say, Jeremy, don't ever bring this up on a date. No. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> um, also, in that same scene when he's talking with the Avengers, he does say specifically, here we are back on Earth with nothing but our wit and our wills. So I, I'm wondering if since Age of Ultron is post Winter Soldier, if he hasn't been working on this space team, maybe sword? It, it, when since he said then, that, to be, to be fair, it sounds like down to Earth. Have you ever heard of the phrase down to Earth? Right. I you mean, know, being humble, being grounded. I think that's all he was referring to. I mean, everybody in that room was Earth based except Thor. So it, it might have been. Yeah, I, I think it's just a way of saying being grounded, being down to Earth, being humbled because they got their trash kicked by Ultron early in the film. True. All of a sudden they're humbled. A lot, a lot of public trust has been lost. They don't have quite the amount of resources they used to. Shield is basically out of commission. They said no, it's no matter just... how many times they reboot it on Agents of Shield, and yes, I do watch it every week, and this season is bonkers. I'm crazy far behind. So. Well, so 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 getting back to this film though, because you know, because yeah, all the all the fury being involved, fury being a scroll. I mean, all of that. That's well, and that's and I do want to bring this up. I I don't know deal. if you caught this or not, Colton, when you were watching, but. At times, Fury, when he's kind of flustered, he does have a lisp, a Talos-type lisp. <laughs> or that or his Valentine character from Kingsman. I, I was thinking that as well. Um, <laughs> I, oh, I'm just kidding. But if he's a man playing a man, playing an alien, playing a man, maybe. Oh, wait, that was RDJ, and we won't go there. He was the dude playing the dude disguised as another dude, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So with this movie, Adam, we are introduced to Beck in Venice, and he does portray the hero against a Hydro-esque Hydro-man type thing, of which Flash reads a BuzzFeed article later about... Yeah, what a nice throwaway Easter egg, huh? A BuzzFeed article about the actual origin of Hydro-man. That that's what they're speculating that was in Venice. Shortly after this, that they talk Spider-Man into basically joining them on their European masquerades going around taking care of these elemental creatures. Uh, Not without some hijacking of their class trip, uh, stealing them, changing their itinerary for the school so that now they're going to Prague rather than Paris. And the teacher is totally cool with it, who who is just (sighs) Martin Starr's character is just hilariously sad. (laughs) Like his wife tried to get him to think that she had disappeared during the blip when in reality, by the way, that's what they're calling the snap in this movie. Ah, okay. His wife fooled him into thinking she got blipped or snapped. When in reality, she just run off with somebody. <laughs> it's sad, but it's hilarious. Just like in Homecoming, just hilariously sad. We couldn't bear to lose a kid on a class trip. Not again. <laughs> but I'm, I'm assuming that, again, just based on Mysterio's you know, power set and what he does, all of these elemental creatures are set up by him. Is that correct? They're all yes. illusions and projections. That's why he's the only one that's kind of fighting them. Is that kind of how that yeah. works? No, I was trying to get back to that. But yeah, I even before the marketing campaign really started to take off when Endgame ended, I knew right away whatever these creatures were, they had to be illusions if Mysterio was in the movie. Right. So do you remember Civil War there, Adam? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Well, in the beginning, Tony Stark introduces this technology for recreating, projecting uh, memories, kind of like his own personal therapy type thing. 
You remember right. Barf? Yes. Okay. <laughs> that is Quentin Beck's uh, life's work, oh. is that technology. And Tony called it Barf and then fired him. So he's ticked off and he's collected a bunch of other former Stark Industries employees and they have this ragtag crew that are working scripts, working the actual projections, the animation, uh, and they're doing all this via some Stark Industries cloaked drones. Wow. Okay, that's and cool. An interesting angle is, yes, Quentin Beck is Mysterio, but he kind of plays it as this whole group is Mysterio. Like all of them. I see. And all and then the way he gets that moniker is because they are in Venice and there's a news report, uh, basically man of mystery. Yeah. But Mysterio is what they come up with. And Peter calls him that when he first meets him via Fury and Hill. And so Beck kind of takes that moniker on and that's where he goes from. He and his crew run with it. Also, did you notice, um, I mean, the film made it pretty obvious. One of the people in the crew was from the original Iron Man movie. Yes. Peter Billingsley's character. Yeah, William. he's back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not Tony Stark. <laughs> That's great. And so is he wearing a bald cap? Because I'm pretty sure he has a full head of hair in real life. You know, no, in, I, in, no, in the special features for the first Iron Man. He says he actually did shave his head. For oh, that part. OK. <laughs> and he wow. regretted it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, he's back he, and he's bald and he's oh, joined the bad guys. So there's that. He, He's the he runs the computer program. And at the end of the movie, when Miss Quentin Beck, when he sends out his message, it's going to destroy Peter's life. Uh, Peter Billingsley's character. What was his character's name? I He's think it one. was William. William. He puts it on a thumb drive and takes it. He's the one that makes sure it gets disseminated. Well, I'm also thinking not only did he have those recordings, but he also had a copy of the programming for Mysterio. So it, it does leave it open that if Beck faked his death. And I um, think he did. I gotta making, be honest. I think he did. I, I don't think that was an illusion. I just think it was good play acting. I, I'm thinking so as well, but... They could have faked his death and actually killed him. And William uses that technology to bring in a second Mysterio in order to do the whole Sinister Six, which they're basically building up to. They're like, we'll get that movie someday. <laughs> well, I yeah, I wouldn't put it past him to do it in Spider-Man 3. Okay, so this is my question, though, Um, you know, because in I believe it was was it the spectacular Spider-Man cartoon was where Spider-Man was actually like essentially a junior shield agent or whatever. I believe like that was, was on the Disney Channel. It was a show called Ultimate Spider-Man. I never really watched it. I just heard about it. Oh, okay. Yeah, Phil I, Olsen was the principal of Peter's High School, and they uh, got Clark Gregg to come back and voice him. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, because I was just wondering, like, is that how they were framing it? Even with, you know, again, now we know it's not Nick Fury, but I mean, was he coming in basically saying, like, we want you to work for us or it just, just kind of like, hey, this is our plan. We want you to be a part of it because uh -huh. S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't exist still, right? Technically, Fury and Hill have a cadre of other people who we've never seen before working with them, leather clad. It looks like a splinter of S.H.I.E.L.D. at least left over. Yeah, just very Black Ops-ish yeah. type thing. Okay. Because Fury, Fury really has only had minor crew around him, except in Age of Ultron, he had a full ship worth of people flying that helicarrier that Coulson dug out for him. Mm -hmm. But then again, uh, Coulson was director of shield at that point could have put together a crew so i i don't know it was it was very weird but at the same time uh fury does fury talos does say that 
I used to know everything. Now I know nothing. I need you to step up is basically what it boils down to is, Peter, we need you as the next Iron Man in a way. And then you guys made reference to uh, something that had to be delivered from Tony Stark. Is that that stealth suit that they were pushing or is it something more important than that? No, no. Even better. It is uh, Tony. He doesn't go out except with a bang. And you remember he wanted to build Ultron to put a suit of armor around the world, right? Right. Well, he went, I don't know how to put it. He he put a bunch of drones in space that could attack, that have defense capabilities, and gave Peter the keys to the kingdom. And those drones are pretty powerful. Peter almost accidentally calls a drone strike on his own bus that he's on. Ooh. <laughs> it's a very clever, visually stunning, entertaining scene as Peter tries to defuse this drone which is basically going to blow him and his classmates to kingdom come and none of them even know that they're in danger classic spider-man <laughs> stuff where only peter slash spider-man knows the complete danger of the situation everyone else is in the dark and he has to defuse it without being discovered brilliant yeah. and he uh it's the glasses that we see in one of the trailers that he puts on right. and then he has this whoa face on uh it's it's called Edith, Even Dead, I'm the Hero. Ah. My, my theater laughed so hard. Classic That, that is so Tony. Very. Uh, my biggest question is that why the heck are those not nanotech? Uh, because they're actual glasses mm, okay. that are breakable. Like you would assume they're breakable. But like, I don't know, there was a small continuity thing with that, like Tony, all of Tony's tech is nanotech. So why aren't those even I think they're small enough? He could just make them out of some really tough metal and that'd be the end of it, you know, yeah, potentially. I mean, even but so even Peter's web shooters in this are nanotech. Oh, OK, yeah, that was my question. So that and I'm assuming the stealth suit is also no, that is actually a fury slash shield created suit. For uh, him. Oh, OK, so that's not from Stark at all. Okay. No, because yeah, he yeah, is in Europe and doesn't want to reveal that Spider-Man is in Europe because his class would figure it out. After what happened in Washington, D.C., Spider-Man showing up in D.C. to help them out. If he it's showed too up, obvious. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's, and MJ already made the connection there, I'm sure. Is well, that what, yeah, in that trailer that they have put out. A great running gag over how this black suit still, he still kind of looks like Spider-Man in it. So Ned covers for him by saying, oh, no, that's not Spider-Man. It's a European imitation called the Night Monkey. <laughs> <laughs> and the news picks up on that yes on the oh, news in, in, speaking what was it french something, uh, something no there was H hollandaise yeah and just yeah this is this so many big belly laughs throughout this film in addition to really well-staged action and then so the, the other part i'm trying to understand then is so you're saying at the halfway point you know beck essentially reveals himself or they figure it out now he was presenting himself as from an alternate reality yes alternate so dimension so let's walk you through this so the yeah. whole macguffin of the movie are these glasses called edith okay and beck is there acting like a father figure like a hero in order to con Spidey into handing over the Edith classes because Peter doesn't feel that he's responsible enough for the gigantic responsibility that it is to have a multi-billion dollar defense tactical system at his beck and call uh, and he essentially signs over use to Beck and it's at that point after Spider-Man leaves that the whole illusion comes down and his whole crew is there celebrating that now they oh. have control over this powerful Stark tech and those drones are capable of doing the projections for which he was using to do the elementals with a... Edith he can make even bigger projections now even bigger disasters and he makes it very clear he's not afraid of people dying 
lying in these disasters he's cooking up just so he can get publicity for himself. It'll just make it look all the more real because these drones can cause damage. They can destroy things all while showing an illusion. So it's evil drones versus good drones in a lot of ways. This is is a drone heavy film. No, 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 no. They're commandeered. They can be for good or evil. Yeah. No, but I'm saying, but did they have drones originally that his crew developed for the illusions? His his own drones. And then I guess they're superior Tony Stark drones. Well, of course. Or at least more numerous. Well, it's more numerous because it looks like they have the same drones because those disgruntled Stark Tech employees are the ones who created the drones. Makes sense, yeah. So they created their own in order for Beck to do his illusions to cause damage to stop the the demons, the elementals. But now that he has access to Stark's drones, which are numerous and hundreds of them, uh, he can create an Avengers-level threat and defuse it himself. And basically right. make himself the new Iron Man slash lead Avenger to inspire the world. And so he he has an actual suit that he makes appearances in. But for most of the movie, uh, most of the back half of the movie, he's in a motion capture suit, like the mocap suits they use to create Iron Man and the Hulk and those goofy looking suits. Mm-hmm. He's wearing yeah. one of those with a fishbowl <laughs> and he'll slip in and out due to the cloaking ability where he'll make appearances in his actual suit versus projections. Hmm. Very clever wizardry. The AO very well done. Mm-hmm. And so when when Peter himself winds up f- having to face Mysterio, those uh, illusions were spectacular. And very psychologically torturing. I mean, that's just classic stuff. Oh, uh, very. M- Mysterio tormenting Spidey, like... It's better than anything I could have imagined. Um, uh, Jeremy, you don't mind me getting into the nitty gritty. I don't oh, want to ruin all the Like he tortures Spider-Man with a variety of images. He shows him in his old onesie costume. Like he makes him appear in his own in his old right onesie in costume his variety of suits to make him feel diminutive. Uh, he shows him an image of MJ being thrown to her death off of the top of the Eiffel Tower, and he also rubs right in his face. Maybe if you were a better hero, Peter. Stark might still be alive. Shows him an illusion of Stark's grave and a desiccated, rotting corpse inside of a metal shell comes out of Stark's grave and starts clawing after Peter. Zombie Iron Man! (laughs) Which which just proves that they can do Marvel Marvel zombies. zombies. Yeah. (laughs) All in good time. So it sounds like they're still, though, because of what I was waiting for, you didn't mention. Basically, Tony Stark has taken over the Uncle Ben role. Uncle Ben still not going to be mentioned. They're not going to delve into that. They show his initials on the briefcase. They do. Suitcase that... Peter takes to Europe. Okay. Benjamin Franklin Parker, BFP. He's there, but he's not mentioned. Much like we all wish that in the Batman films, they go away from showing his parents dying. Mm-hmm. Martha! <laughs> it's, it's just the last two iterations of Spider-Man really put the Uncle ben, ben thing into the ground, so to speak. Yeah. And Marvel Studios kind of wants to loosen up on that. Which is fine. That's, that's feel special. Funny, yeah. Him felt but not spoken of. Well, and and they kind of dance around the the whole with great power comes great responsibility thing. Um, Peter himself, when talking to Ned, he's like, I have too much responsibility. So they're getting to it. They're dancing around it and saying that, hey, he he knows he has great powers and the responsibilities are just too much right now. And so that sounds like, you know, just while we're on talking to Uncle Ben, like does Aunt May somehow get roped into being a chaperone or is she just a cameo? Because she and Happy kind of have a thing, right? Isn't that what we got at the end of Endgame? (sighs) 
that's yeah well that's a b story yeah it's a okay. few notches above a cameo she's not in it for very much uh, how right. many scenes would you say she has maybe like three uh no probably four or five um because they but do they're have they're, they're all brief but they all tell a narrative because they are exploring that happy and may are having a thing going uh happy thinks they're dating may thinks it's a summer fling <laughs> so yeah the that is going on in the background and happy does have to show up and save the day at some points i work with spider-man not for spider-man <laughs> right and that brings up another question when the ship blows up so after mysterio beats him he ends up walking him kind of backwards stumbling onto train tracks and is hit by a train um and then wakes up in the netherlands and it's at that point <laughs> when <laughs> when happy has to come rescue him in the Stark jet and they have some really heart-wrenching heart-to-heart moments there between the two of them because Happy is Tony's longest running friend knew him the best um, Peter is breaking down says he can't be the next Tony um, can't live up to that and then Happy even tells him hey Tony didn't live up to the Tony that he envisioned so he wouldn't have given Peter all the responsibility of having a multi-billion dollar tactical defense system if he didn't believe that that Peter could do it. And so he's without a suit. Happy reveals that there's a suit making device in the back of the plane where he can customize it, soup it up. Very, very RDJ in the workshop type thing. Oh yeah, there are some moments that are d- direct callback and, to start and tinkering around. Yeah, the whole With holograms, yeah. slipping hands inside, looking around. Happy has a look on his face and... Uh, Peter's like, what are you looking like that for? And Happy's just like, nothing. <laughs> and you can tell he's going down memory lane. He's being just like Tony. <laughs> Huge laugh when, gosh, what's that song? A Back in Black starts playing? Yeah. Peter goes, <laughs> I love Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, an amazing red and black suit, which looks so good. He makes from that machine. Yeah, along with custom webs, electric, electric webs. Yeah, taze webs that are tuned to disrupt the drones. He he literally customizes that suit to the max. Um, we get allusions to the Iron Spider suit and all this other stuff as well. Lots of Easter eggs throughout this whole thing. And then the final showdown in London. And throughout the whole movie, we keep hearing about this Peter Tingle, which is the Spidey sense, but they don't want to call it the Spidey sense. Oh, come on. <laughs> John Watts, the director, did say that they wanted to avoid calling it that because it's too on the nose. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, yeah. I, yeah, seriously. I, I'm, I'm floored he said that. Wow. I could see them going towards that in the future. Like, basically, these two movies are him earning the title of Spider-Man in a way. I mean, are they against calling it Spider-Sense? I mean, that's what I grew up with. The TV show I watched, they never called it Spidey Sense. They called it Spider Sense. Yeah. Well, it, it might have been. I was shorthanding it. But yeah, but but I mean, I would I would say the only thing I could think is also Topher Grace kind of tainted it as Venom when he said, "My Spidey Sense is tingling." If yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, what I'm talking about. Yeah, I was just like, ah, oh. so that yeah, was creepy. It, yeah. it might have just been <laughs> tainted, and they didn't want to go down that route, so they had some fun with it. There were lots of laughs at its expense. Aunt May throws a banana at him and it hits him. And she's like, I thought your Peter Tingle was supposed to protect you from it. You can dodge bullets, but not bananas. <laughs> and I keep hearing a lot of people say that they didn't think his uh, sixth sense was working throughout this movie until mm-hmm. the end. Um, and, and in a way, isn't that kind of the 
the second movie trope of where he doesn't want to be Spider-Man, doesn't want to have the powers, and so the powers kind of go away type deal? I don't know. Uh, Straight out of the comics, him using his spider sense to see through Mysterio's illusions and basically punch his way through them, that was from the source material. I remember uh, when I was vacationing in New York, in 2003, uh, reading the early Spider-Man comics for the very first time, just a cousin lent them to me. And that exact thing happened in there where he's discouraged because he's going up against Mysterio and he can't get through his illusions. Finally, he really learns for the first time to fully hone his spider sense. And he is able to just masterfully get past all of them. And uh, I felt of that. which they definitely, wow, mastered they, yeah. that in the final mm-hmm. hallway fight. Oh, I gotta love those hallway fights that Marvel does, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, final shot of the fight is just amazing where it looks like Beck is about to give up and the spider sense lets him know Beck sitting on the ground wounded giving up is an illusion and Peter reaches out just in time and suddenly out of nowhere appears the real Beck holding a gun misfiring it because Peter grabbed his arm and got it shooting in the right direction diverts his arm Um, and the second time going through you watch how Beck pulls out the glasses it's like he's pulling out a gun from his chest and points them like a gun at Peter so let me ask this how did you guys feel that Jake Gyllenhaal stacked up to Michael Keaton's vulture as being a villain again that is in some ways kind of playing you know an authority or a like you said a, a mentor figure that's going to turn on him how did, how did that play this time around as for a you? guy who's sick of that trope it <laughs> felt kind of new wow and also it's interesting that both of these villains had major axes to grind against Tony Stark and Spider-Man kind of has to pick up those pieces yeah. Mm. And even more so now because everybody and their son is going to be gunning for him. So by the end then, so after the end fight, Mysterio's supposedly dead, all of those things, the Edith glasses, he does accept that responsibility and he just has them? Yes. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> I, I don't want Spider-Man to be in charge of the world. I, I just He talks about wanting to be a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Why can't we just get that, please? Well, I mean, uh, he was... He was hungering to be an Avenger, then realized, no, I need to take care of the neighborhood. Then he went to space, died, came back after five years. Um kind of conflicted because he knows he needs to step up into another role but at the same time he's 16 17 year old kid and now the whole world is gunning for him and i don't mean to brag but jeremy remember before the movie even started i said i can feel it there are so many chips stacked up i think spider-man's anonymity his secret identity as peter parker i think that's going to be over now for clarification you did say that you felt he would reveal his secret no, no, I said either he'll reveal it or he'll be forced to reveal it somehow. Ah. I had no idea if it was going to be voluntary or not was what I was saying. But as with every Marvel movie so far, he really had no one that he was keeping it from. You know, like he's pretty free with, you know, aside from MJ and Flash, you know, it seems like pretty much everybody close to him. My knows. rationale was in this universe, like Thor isn't even bothering to do Donald Blake. Everybody knows that Banner is Hulk. Right. Everybody knew that. Tony Stark as Iron Man, and the list goes on. And Spider-Man was always the sore thumb of, yeah, I'm going to keep my identity a secret. And between the Vulture finding out who he is and not telling anybody, uh, Ned finding out who he is and keeping the secret. And and here's the thing. In the trailers, it made it very clear. Um, Beck knew that Peter was Spider-Man. Peter had his mask off in front of him. And I was like, if Beck turns out to be a bad guy, and I think he will, that's going to be a villain who knows his identity. And right. The odds of him going up against two supervillains who know his identity and both of them are going to do some type of honor bound code to keep his identity a secret. That's not going to that's going to be really crappy. 
I'm sorry. Um, I was willing to stomach it once before in a different continuity when the lizard at the end of the Amazing Spider-Man kept Peter's identity. But I just I remember just thinking it's so played out. There just needs to come a point where in this Marvel universe where hardly anyone has secret identities anymore, unless you really want to count Daredevil and Black Panther. Uh, I just I just felt like it was time. They need to take that big leap. Aunt May knows. Like, yeah. Before in any of the movies has Aunt May known. You know what I mean? Just I just I felt it. And my prediction ended up coming true. I mean, it was done against his will, but it ended up happening. Now, were you guys disappointed? You know, because the big kind of red herring that they were dropping through everything, just getting back to Mysterio being from an alternate dimension. Did you want that to be true? Did you feel like that? Because they talked, oh, it's going to it's going to end, you know, the Infinity Saga, but it's going to open up so many more possibilities. And it kind of sounds like that's not the case as much now. When it comes to the multiverse and the possibilities of it, yes, I wanted it to be true, but I did not bank on it for a second. Mysterio just I I'd kind of hoped something would happen that would give us a little more inkling as to where they're going uh, in the future. But I mean, when he when he labels the the universes as 616 and 833, uh, 616 was the ultimates run. Was it not? No, six one six is the prop. The oh, Marvel proper. Prime, right? Yeah. Um, Eight three three is actually the uh, Braddock guy who is the Spider Man in London. Braddock? I thought that was like Captain Britain. Yeah, that's Captain Britain. Right. It, it's his is son. He in this yeah. Movie? No, oh. Braddock is uh, on eight three three. He's got a son. Like his last name is Braddock, and he plays Spider Man in Europe. Interesting. You're saying in the comics, continuity. right? In comics okay. continuity. On Earth 833, that's that's the scenario there. Mm, okay. Um, because the Marvel Cinematic Universe is Earth 199999 or something. <laughs> There's five or six nines there. Several nines. Yeah. yeah. And and with that, they they have said basically like they can take from all these other multiverse comics and create their own version. So I, I'm wondering if Peter is going to take up more of a uh, Parker Industries type thing to where he is. I mean, his identity is already public, so you might as well figure out something like that. Do your own business, work with Stark Industries, run it. Uh, I don't know. R&D department? Yeah, that still frustrates me. Because <laughs> it seems like he's headed that direction. And that's so far from who Spider-Man has yeah, been to us but it also forever. kind of feels far away. While you're a fugitive of the law, you can't really go build a corporation. You know? Good point, yeah. <laughs> so as that is in the cards, it's down the road. Well, is he a fugitive of the law? Well, he's just been well, confused uh, with, with very convincing framed, video evidence, you know? Right. Framed as the murderer type thing. He, yes, he, I He's at least that. a person of interest who's already, thanks to that video, a lot of people are going to be mistrusting him. Well, and on the other hand, why doesn't he have Edith or his other AIs at his disposal show the real footage, show what really went down type thing? Maybe that is stored somewhere. So I, I'm just saying that could be in the cards. Also, with the scrolls in play, why don't they do the whole, like, Peter is Spider-Man and they have a scroll play Peter Parker so that they can be viewed at the same time in the same place mm. to show that they are different. That would be a clever way to handle it for sure. <sighs> so, so that like, that, how long till Comic Con, Jeremy? Yeah. Until we get the official slate <laughs> announcement. Uh, Comic Con's coming up real soon. Uh, what, a couple weeks away? Comic Con and I haven't been getting along too well lately. <laughs> 
Well, Marvel didn't have a presence last year, right? That's part of the so, thing since the big return, cool. right? It is Thursday, July 18th through Sunday, July 21st. Hall H will have a Marvel specific presentation. Okay. Uh, we also have D23 happening later this year. So they may only pull out some of the stops at Comic-Con and then lay out more of a slate at D23, but they could also just do all the comic stuff at Comic-Con, the non-comic stuff at D23. Because we do have a Star Wars movie coming out. And it'll be the last one for a while. Bob Iger has repeatedly said they're going to go on hiatus. Right. After the lackluster reception of Solo, they're just kind of hitting the brakes a bit. Well, that was a cascade from backlash of The Last Jedi. So. That too. So with uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, Colton, anything you caught that uh, Easter eggy? Uh, well, can I say the one quibble I have with the film? Ooh. This is a problem I've seen with a lot of films, including Batman v Superman, where the villain has a plan that requires a level of psychological knowledge that's just not possible. Like, I just... Beck's entire plan was to convince Peter... To give him the glasses. And if you watch the film again, he never actually like does that. You know what I mean? There's never a, there's no subtle anything. There's just no way he could have known that Peter was in a psychological place to give him the glasses. You know what I mean? They're just. Uh, uh, yes or no. Yes and no. I mean, like we as the, the viewers saw multiple times where Peter was kind of blown away with having this much responsibility. Mm-hmm. And, and all Beck had to be was basically a trustworthy hero figure that would be there. And yes, there it, it, it was elite. contrived. Yes, it, it, it's a leap. Uh, it doesn't torpedo the film by any means. It, it's just like remember Batman, Batman v Superman. So much of Lex Luthor's plan was contingent on him just being certain that each one was going to react to the others doing this. And he had no way of knowing. You know what I mean? Just lots of films have that problem where they just they guess on a powerful psychological level that just it goes beyond genius. You have to be psychic, you know? Uh, True. Um, we also don't know how how much of an influence somebody within the company had that was kind of working double agent with Beck to be like, hey, he's giving these glasses and the keys to the kingdom to this kid. Um, somebody would have had to known that because I don't uh, Fury barely knew. Granted, it was Talos Fury, but uh, it, a little suspension of disbelief there. Is, yeah, but, is basically but, what it was. That's a very small price to pay for a very good film. Though. Uh, I, I will just repeat, the CGI on those illusions was amazing. I'm not easily impressed, and I was very impressed. Yeah, the second time I went back, I went back to IMAX just to see it. Um, I have heard reports on 3D that the Which illusions were really good. Um, I went to the one up by you for the IMAX. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, same day? or? Uh, no, no. Okay. I had to go a few days later. I went back the same day to see it in IMAX, and yes, it sparkles on an IMAX screen. Well, you guys got me excited, so I'm looking forward to seeing it. <laughs> I just well, hope the we didn't spoil it. Now, this I, is, I like to know what I'm going in for a lot of times. I, can I have still fun, think you'll like so. it. Even knowing yeah. what we've told you, I still think you'll like it. It's always about the performances. It's always about, yeah, there's just a, I'm, I'm a big dialogue guy, so I'll get a lot of joy out of the stuff, the actual delivery of the lines. And also, I know uh, Tom Holland is quite the heartthrob these days, so I'm sure there's a lot of teenage girls going back again and again to see this movie. <laughs> and he and Zendaya have a nice, adorable romance in this film. It's in a lot of films, it's annoying when characters are like, oh, well, they're attractive. Let's just force them together. And it just the chemistry doesn't work. In this film, they do have a sweet, dorky chemistry. 
that I bought into. Their first kiss, like I, I wonder if it was acting or what, but it just it and was, the second one. It was a hundred and ten percent awkward, and yet so true to life and beautiful. And and on that note, I'm. It, are they playing her up as autistic almost? I like just highly kind of, functionable. I she struck me as just being a really lethargic, uh, constantly critiquing the world type person. Cynic. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's how I took it. I, I never took it as being on the autism spectrum. Well, I mean, everybody's on it. Just some of us are shaded a little farther to the interesting side of things. Um, <laughs> but I mean, button is broken. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't want to go inside of something that was built by slaves. Right. Well, that's politics and we'll leave that off the table. <laughs> um, now, the, some funny little Easter eggs here. Funny, interesting, whatever. Um, as I was watching, they kept showing license plates at specific times and they'd show them repeatedly. So the second time going through, I started writing down the license plates and turns out the when Fury is driving through the streets in Prague, that license plate is in reference to The Amazing Spider-Man number 28, and it's Spidey versus the Molten Man from 1965. Uh, basically how they're doing it is the first three are the abbreviation of what the comic's title is. The next two are the uh, issue number, and the last three digits is the month and year that it was produced. Uh, the Berlin plates when Fury picks up uh, Spider-Man as they're driving to the... Berlin headquarters. It's the Marvel team up of Spider-Man and Nick Fury from 1973. There are some other comic moments referenced. Spidey fights in London on the Tower Bridge. Uh, J. Jonah Jameson re revealing Spidey's identity. Uh, Fury and Hill are actually discussing outer space stuff at one point, and they draw Kree sleeper cells being mentioned mm. at one point. So definitely revealing that we're going to space more in Phase 4. Already talked about Fury's lisp. Um, and at one point when Peter drops off MJ after they were swinging through the city, there is a shot of construction going on behind them. And that is the old Avengers Tower being redone. And the sign says, uh, get excited for what's coming. And then there's four dots. And it's one, two, three. And the fourth one says question mark, potentially teasing that Avengers Tower will become the new Baxter building mm, for the Fantastic nice. Four in a circle. I keep hearing whispers that it's going to become Oscorp. That's I what was, I, I Granted, I was kind of hoping that and I'd hoped that they would have revealed it in this. Um, Kevin Feige was asked about this point blank as to who the new occupant is. He kind of stuttered, and then he was like, uh, that's not been revealed, and the logos aren't yet on the building, so... Uh, <laughs> he I, knows how to play it. it. Right. It's possible they're still deciding. They haven't decided if oh, it's going to sure. be Baxter Building or Oscorp yet. I'll bet you they're wonder or something else entirely that we haven't even thought of. Oh, potentially. Definitely debating it. I was hoping kind of the irony of having the home of his former hero uh, become the home of his greatest nemesis in Oscorp. But hey, if that it's the Baxter building, I'd be fine with it. Oh, yeah. That and just means we're going to get some good Fantastic Four stuff yeah. here. Considering the timelines of uh, scheduling of the past couple of years, I think we'll get a Fantastic Four film long before we get any type of X-Men reboot. Because, you know, we've already begun healing from that last Fantastic Four movie, which is about four years ago. And we just had a new X-Men film, which wasn't well received, that just came out last month. <laughs> well, so, speaking I'm of fan four stick... Uh, Adam, 
What uh, what happened with the box office there with uh, Dark Phoenix? Yeah, that was a real surprise. It did worse than Fan Forstick oh, there reporting, yeah. if you can believe it. Wow. Even internationally, you know, you'd think that would bring it back up. But man, I, I, I think in addition to all the bad buzz, the fact that they didn't have the name X-Men in the title did not help things. And yeah, I, I'm betting that was definitely planned for as well, that they wanted to distance themselves from the X-Men title. For political um, correctness, I heard. Well, no, not political correctness, but I did not hear solely, one of... I heard that was in play. Uh, yeah, definitely in play. It was in the movie, too. Um, Raven wanted it that yeah. way. <laughs> um, somebody Look else <laughs> on the one of the EPs or part of the crew uh, did say that they were distancing themselves from the X-Men title because it was played out overused type deal um also with marvel taking him over i'm sure they wanted to cleanse the palette and be like well this is technically an x-men movie but we're not gonna use that title so we can use it later one whisper that i heard is that they are casting for storm and they're gonna have her appear in black panther 2 complete rumor nothing really to back it up but that would be a good way to go to just kind of they're still working on scripts for that yeah as a piecemeal have characters from the X-Men slice of the universe show up in things, but don't have any type of full-fledged mutant-driven film until way later. Well, that's much like the Avengers. You have them pop up in Mm -hmm. different places and then bring the team together type deal. Yeah. So Spider-Man Far From Home sounds like far from home, but close to your hearts, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So final thoughts here, Colton? Uh, Nine out of ten. Would definitely recommend it. I'll probably go back and see it again before the summer is over. Lots of fun. Yeah, I had hoped to today, but I couldn't steal away. So, man, Into the Spider-Verse is my top Spider-Man movie right now. Because of the blip, the snap, whatever you're going to call it, they do have the door open for Miles to appear in the MCU proper. But Far From Home is probably going to be my number two. Homecoming, number three. Man, it's not perfect. It brings up some issues. Uh, Lots of continuity fun lots of callbacks colton did you like the uh the flashbacks and how they did that uh the school gymnasium suddenly getting refilled with people no no that was during the blip uh i'm talking when beck is kind of walking through each of his crew they actually have scenes from the old marvel movies just it it was a little bit on the nose but audience liked it they ate it up there was lots of laughs when they're because it's freaking obadiah sting played by jeff bridges screaming at peter billingsley tony stark built this in a cave with a box of scrap um on one hand on the one hand it was kind of on the nose on the other hand it i don't know there's just something about the tingling in the brain when you feel continuity being respected you know well a little bit of nostalgia there it was very fun yeah so I, I'm definitely in the nine range as well. They played with some things in the Marvel Universe that will be interesting to see how they go forward with them. But yeah, Adam, you should go see this. You are the Spidey guru on the squad. So yes, yes, it's, it's uh, burning me up inside. So I'll be on my best behavior and maybe <laughs> convince my <laughs> wife to join me for a date night. We shall see. Uh, this should be out on DVD and Blu-ray probably by uh, when? Black Friday? That'd be a good time. Probably the end of September or the beginning of October. Probably digital end of September. Yeah. Blu-ray on mid-October. Sounds about right. All righty, gents. Well, until next time. Tomorrow morning, Spider-Man, page one with a decent picture this time. Move Conway to page seven. The problem is we don't have a decent picture. If we can get a picture of Julia Roberts in a thong, we can certainly get a picture of this weirdo. Put an ad on the front page. Cash money for a picture of Spider-Man. He doesn't want to be famous, and I'll make him infamous. This is breaking news. 
We come to you now with revelations of a last week's attack in London. An anonymous source provided this video. It shows Quentin Beck, a.k.a. Mysterio, moments before his death. The shocking video was released earlier today on the controversial news website, thedailybugle.net. There you have it, folks. Conclusive proofs. That's, but that's not all, folks. Here's the real blockbuster. Brace yourselves. You might want to sit out. It's all my fault. I drove Spider-Man away. He was the only one who could have stopped Octavius. Yes, Spider-Man was a hero. I just couldn't see it. He was a, a thief, a criminal. He stole my suit. He's a menace to the entire city. I want that wall-crawling arachnid prosecuted. I want him strung up by his web. I want Spider-Man! We hope you enjoyed all of the fun of today's episode and invite you to join us on our regularly scheduled podcast, Sequel Quest, where we imagine the next installments of your favorite movie franchises. Find Sequel Quest on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, and on most of your favorite podcatchers. And of course, visit us at our new home on the web, theretronetwork.com. This has been a presentation of The Retro Network.